The Anchored City podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. I have heard the oldest stories that the wisest man never told. And I cast aside my worries And just went digging for gold And I will scale the highest mountains Looking for the bluest blue But of all the roads I'll ever walk I just, I can't Welcome to this special Between the Seasons episode of the Anchored City Podcast, where we're connecting with Anchorage's soul through her histories, stories, and people. I'm your host, Joel Kiekenfeld. On this episode, we're returning to a story from season one of this podcast and a legend that's been part of Anchorage for over 100 years. Joining me on this podcast are Laura Koenig and Rick Goodfellow to talk about the death of Anchorage's first police chief, Jack Sturgis. We had a great conversation, one that I thoroughly enjoyed, but we did experience a couple of minor internet service drops, and we apologize for that. Here's my conversation with Laura and Rick, and it's one you don't want to miss. That I have yet to cross, and I have dreamed of faraway places, where imagination just gets lost, and I would search the wild. Sure, I guess I'll start here. I'm I'm Laura Koenig. I'm a musician, both a performer and a music historian. Um, I wear a lot of hats within that field and within uh, Anchorage. Uh, for over the last 10 years, I've been artistic director for Anchorage Festival of Music. And so I've been able to blend my uh, performance with my historical interests. Uh, So as far as this project and this dynamic duo of Rick and Laura, um, I have brought uh, a depth of knowledge about uh, archival research, both using databases for digitized sources and delving into places where the unexpected happens. Mm -hmm. I'm Rick Goodfellow. I am a police officer's kid. My father was a career Alaska State Trooper. And uh, about 25 years ago, I got it into my head that Anchorage should have a ghost tour. And there were a variety of reasons for that. But one of them was I just wanted to promote the idea of Anchorage having a sense and I'm not sure pride, but interest in its history. And I also own and run uh, an FM classical radio station, KLEF. 
Right on. So back in season one of this podcast, um, I told the kind of story of the mysterious death of the first police chief in Anchorage, which I know is a story you all are familiar with. Um, But would you mind telling that um, story a little bit for listeners who might not know that story? And I know I think it's part of the ghost tour as well. So um, what is the story that people have been telling for the last hundred years or so about Jack Sturgis and his death? All right. Uh, that's a perfect place to start. Anchorage, a young town, uh, been on the map literally for five and a half years, working out of the generosity of the federal government, because the federal government needed Anchorage to build the Alaska Railroad. And as construction neared its end, the federal government grew weary of paying for the city services and informed Anchorage that if it wanted to continue having city services, it would need to incorporate. And on New Year's Day, 1921, Anchorage officially became a city and for the first time got its own police force. One man, a man named Jack Sturgis, who'd been in town for a number of years, serving as what was called a special deputy marshal. But there were many grievances with the marshal service and applications were opened and Jack applied to become the chief of police and was hired. There was a lot of rhetoric about the deficiencies real and imagined of the marshal service, but Jack was going to set things right. Jack was going to clean up the moral turpitude. And seven and a half weeks later, he was shot fatally in the alley that is now behind the historic Anchorage Hotel, the alley between 3rd and 4th near the end on E Street. And Anchorage went through immense, almost paramilitary grief. The fraternal lodges organized a funeral, and there was a lot of rhetoric about no stone will be unturned and we'll find the killer And there was a reward offered. And strangely, although the town had only a little over a thousand residents, they never could find the killer. Well, policeman's kid resonated to this. Officer killed in the line of duty. Small town supposedly mystified over who could have done such a terrible thing. So from the first season of the ghost tour, This story, presented as a murder mystery, was part of the ghost tour. And who should come along on the ghost tour one night but Laura and her amazing husband, Don. And Laura said, I can solve this. And I didn't quite reach out and pat her on the head, but that was my mindset. Because, I mean, I'm in a dilemma here. I thought, forgive me, Laura, but what crossed my mind was, honey, your chances are between slim and none. This is more than 90 years ago. Historian after historian has looked into this. I remember thinking it. I looked into it in my own mediocre way at the time. You've got very little chance, but I'm all for you. And let me know how it goes. And then Laura, who is immensely talented, detail-oriented, experienced archivist, took over, and she sort of carried me along in her vortex ever since. 
Laura? <laughs> wow. Uh, thank you, Rick. Uh, well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, um, the, 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 the first thing that sort of struck me about this was, um, was certainly I, I, I was brought into it from the standpoint, it was a murder. I mean, that was what I've been told. If you do a cursory look, you'll find the same tale. Um, and so I was looking for suspects, you know, you do, it did whatever bit did. you look at the original inquest, which by the way, um, is probably, I mean, Rick told the story very well, but um, it, instead of kind of searching to see what someone has said, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, now it's possible to go back and read the original inquest. And that's really the only information we have about this event. Um, but what started to strike me was how quickly the event went away because I spent a lot of time in the 1920s. And, and as a side note, this brought me to another project with Anchorage Festival of Music, because when I was looking at Jack Sturgis's funeral, I went, my eye went down and it said, you know, concert coming up this, this April. And it was like the first large scale classical music concert was happening in Anchorage. And I thought there was a real juxtaposition between this, con this, this town that was having this huge event with something that was supposed to be full of bootleggers and murderers. And what I what I realized is that murders were actually relatively rare in Anchorage at the time. Um, when something, had, uh, there had been a big murder uh, with Marie Lavore, that was in, was that 1919? 1919. 1919. Um, and really no stone was left unturned and they eventually found who, who had uh, done that murder. Uh, and that was typically the case. So to have it just go to crickets was kind of unusual. So the next thing I kind of approached it from, well, we need to learn more about this person. Um, and if you look at the, just the basic biographies of Jack, there's a lot of just base errors that were printed at the time. You know, they have the wrong birth date. They have the wrong narrative to where he was, where, when, um, so I actually had to go back and be a genealogist. Um, and so Mike, well, and let's just say, I'm not saying the pandemic was a good thing at all, but when that happened in 2020, I was given a lot of time and increased computer skills. <laughs> <laughs> so this sort of all came together in, in 2020. Um, where I started to, to really look at his biography and see this pattern of in his family of mental illness. Um, uh, a lot of his family had committed suicide. Um, he was, and then it struck me that just from that, I was seeing the whole inquest in a different way. Um, because if you read that inquest, and you think, oh, he was murdered. You can find that there. But if you read that as it was a suicide, every detail of that inquest makes sense. And every detail of the event makes sense. Um, and Rick was talking about the, the sort of myth of, or I said the story. 
really it's been, in fact, I was looking, trying to find what the earliest mention was that he was murdered. Yes, certainly the original headlines were, oh, he was, there was a murder until the inquest. They didn't know. Um, but it wasn't until the this day in history, 20 years later in 1941, that the little blurb in the paper mentioned that the inquest had returned a verdict of murder, which is false. It just, that's not true. Hmm. And then from then on, this day in history, he was murdered on this day. And then it just kept being the narrative. Um, and so really, um, I was moving towards that narrative before I found some very important documents. So Rick, do you want to say some more before we talk about the, uh, you know, uh, when, when this kind of thing gets talked about, uh, it, it shows my age, I guess, but I immediately think of that Western classic, the man who shot Liberty balance, which ends with the classic line. When the facts conflict with the legend, print the legend. And came very clear that particularly 20 plus years on after Jack's death, Anchorage really wanted their first police chief to be dead at the hands of an unknown murderer. That just fit the self-image that Anchorage was building for itself. And what I learned, one of, one of the many things, but arguably the most important thing that I've learned from Laura is just because a quote unquote historian writes something, don't imagine for a minute they looked at the original documents. Hmm. Laura has How many thousand miles have you flown to look at non-digitized documents, Laura? Tens of thousands, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. This, this has brought me... Um, I mean, I, personally, I have been to archives in Washington State, at least four different archives delving anything because I spent a fair bit of time there. I've been to Laramie, Wyoming. I've been to several in Ohio. I've been to Indiana. And Rick and I both have uh, gone back to NARA in uh, Washington, D.C. to look at the National Archives. I um, trip to Fairbanks, and I've done oh, some. Fairbanks, yeah, and Juneau, of course, yeah. I mean, we've been all over. Uh, not to mention, sorry, Rick, go ahead. Yeah, no, well, just before Laura, my, my Jack life is divided into before Laura and after Laura, and well, and during Laura, when we've started getting used to each other. Frankly, I thought she was nuts at first, not because she wanted to solve it, but because she went after the genealogy. I remember thinking, what do we care about his mother-in-law? And yet no one had ever looked. And as a consequence, if you believe the more or less uh, generally agreed to legend, well, Jack is sort of a mystery man. It's rumored to have been here. He's rumored to have been there. He's really not very mysterious at all. His life is quite well documented where he was and when he was and a lot about his family life. And it just became clear to me that there's reading history and there's doing history and doing history means you better be looking where no one else is bothered to look. And 
as much as Laura has done and my little help too, there's a lot of documents that we haven't looked at that we really would like to. There's more to this. There always is. But I'm very, my one great accomplishment, the, the unique accomplishment, I even did it all by myself before Laura. Um, very strange thing. Jack dies in 1921, and his estate is not probated until, what is it, 1940? 1939, I think, yeah. That's weird. And wait, there's more. According to the legend, this is a guy living kind of hand-to-mouth, hard scrabble. He was half owner of 40 acres that are now Fairview. And I always thought, this is odd. And yet nobody is talking about it at the time of his death or since. And clearly, there's all sorts of subcurrents going on in Anchorage that I didn't begin to understand. And the reason I didn't make better progress was my head was so locked into, it's a murder, it's a murder, it's a murder. And Laura just saw it with fresh eyes. So back to you. Well, what strikes me before we go to Laura, what strikes me is it seems like in the initial reporting, the initial inquest, there may have been a motivation around um, making it go away rather quickly. Um, if it was suicide or, you know, some other way of dying, like just to have that story kind of disappear. And then, like you said, it fits well 20 years later or so, 25 years later, whatever. It fits really well for the narrative for it to be a murder. Um, so I find that very interesting that at different periods in the in the early part of the city, the story would have been told a certain way for for different motivations. Yeah, and, it, which okay. brings us to Laura digging into what was actually really going on. Well, well, I mean, there, there's there uh, certainly, I mean, from our our talk from two two years ago that we did for Cook Inland Historical Society. Um, I mean, you can go back and look at the evidence we had at that point. But within the last two years, we've compiled even more um, information and it all fits into the the same same narrative. And what what strikes me is how much power the local paper actually has in dictating um, what people think and what we remember. And you have to be careful if all you look at is what the paper says. Um, and certainly what the Anchorage paper says, because we just really had just the one and it was run by a very powerful political guy who is slightly insane. <laughs> I, she I don't know if that ever Bob happens. Atwood. She doesn't mean Bob Atwood. That <laughs> oh no, Charles Heron. He was he was a singer in the first classical music concert. I know a lot about Charles Heron. By the way, he was uh, tied up in a murder, too, in 1913. That's a whole nother story. You go into the first you know, the editor of the Anchorage Times went to prison several times. Um, <laughs> but back to Jack. Anyway, yeah, the the, the there were some mentions in the paper interesting enough um, about suicide and uh, they re 
sort of rehashed an article that had appeared down in a Seattle paper. This is the Anchorage Times rehashed this, uh, where Jack's former employer said uh, he wasn't the type of man to kill himself. It wasn't suicide. And so Anchorage Times said, oh, this is good to print. We'll print this. And then uh, I think it was March 4th, if I remember, they, there's a, a great little blurb that says faking the news in the Anchorage Times. And what they're referring to are outside newspapers. And this story, by the way, took off throughout the country and the, the world. There's uh, in, in Canada, too, and even other countries, there's, there's little bylines about this. Oh, Anchorage's police chief was killed by murderous bootleggers and all this stuff. And it starts getting more and more you know, bigger. And the Anchorage Times is saying that this didn't come from Anchorage. We never said that that Jack was murdered by bootleggers. And they're getting a little concerned that now the outside world is starting to see Anchorage as this lawless place when they're trying to build up this image of this community. So that's really the last mention that you will see of, of Jack Sturgis from that point where they're just saying, nope, and that's it. And they just decide to talk about other things. Um, but in the last two years, as far as looking at these, we, we realized that uh, other places um, didn't necessarily need to protect. I, I don't want to say, say too much specifically right now, but um, that there were other places that didn't need to keep the secret. And so we've actually found more period evidence uh, to the, the, the knowledge, the, the well-kept secret, the out there secret that he killed himself. Um, and if I could jump in, Laura, it, the context yeah. definitely comes across of, it's the well-kept secret that we all know, and we keep the secret by just not mentioning it. Yeah. It's a social norm. It wouldn't be polite. And yeah. one other thing that became very clear, as soon as Jack is dead, the paper is full of articles attesting to what a beloved figure he was. That is not the case at all. Um, and in fact, as you mentioned in that podcast a year ago, the last person who said he saw Jack unshot was Oscar Anderson, pillar of the community, community provider of meat. And all. He and Jack were death enemies. And Oscar, if indeed, I have no reason to doubt Oscar's word that he did encounter Jack that Sunday night on dark fourth Avenue. And he, Oscar said that Jack was behaving strangely. I think probably what they exchanged was some mutual unpleasantries and uh, they both went on their way, but suddenly you know, it, it's probably good policy. Don't speak ill of the dead. But Jack had had two major complaints, major complaints filed against his service as a deputy marshal. He was far from above reproach. Yeah. So you two meet sort of chance encounter kind of on the ghost tour and decide to sort of pursue this hundred year old or almost at that point, hundred year old cold case. And where does it lead you? Like what, what, I mean, you started talking a little bit of moving beyond sort of the newspaper accounts, which were clearly as you're laying out, not very accurate. 
um, and starting to go down some other channels. So where does it take you? Like, what's the road to sort of solving this cold case? Well, the salute, if I, I'll be brief. Laura always leaned towards suicide, near, nearly from the beginning, because she read the inquest and she said, you know, how can this not be a suicide? Police had said, no, no, no. And also ghost tour guy said, I don't know, no. <laughs> be right, can't be right. So I, I made her really, 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 really work hard on this. Uh, she finally convinced even me, much against my better judgment. I hate the solution, but I'm convinced it's right. But along the way, the Jack has emerged, at least for me, as sort of a Forrest Gumpy character, where somehow he's rarely really the protagonist, but he turns up in the proximity of remarkable events and not just in Alaska. And I have learned all sorts of things that about early Alaska and early 20th century uh, American history that I never thought I would be interested in. Well, on that, I mean, I, I, yes, about early 20th century, but I've learned a lot about a period in American history that very often just gets glossed over. You know, we have a civil war and all of a sudden there's World War One. I. I mean, there's... <laughs> Uh, this is a pretty significant, yes, right? No, yeah, I, no, no. I mean, but but and his his life. I mean, he seemed to be um, certainly where he was in Ohio with his the, the family he was living with. I mean, we're we're bigwigs in in politics and with reform. Um, you know, it's, so I mean, I'm, I'm just I've learned a lot about our country and the world at that time, not not just just Alaska. Uh, and it, it it it's it's hard sometimes not to want to go down these rabbit holes. Well, I do. <laughs> I, you're, you're very I, you know, I'm 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 in you know, I'm I'm in Uncle Menard land, one of his uncle's land. And I find out, oh, my goodness, he was this he was involved in the first school shooting in the United States. And of course, that's kind of a, a major thing today. And you read that this was going on a hundred and, you know, this is, this is long in our fabric. Um, so there's little things that jump off like that. Um, but as far as the, the actual convincing of Rick of this, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, even though I felt this, I wasn't trying to, I, that wasn't my motivation was just to try you you fool it's not a murder <laughs> that's not what i was trying to do that In was fact, a I given mean, that, laura that was a given <laughs> yeah i mean the thing is as as a historian you have these moments and, and there's been it, it, there's been many moments where i've gone oh my gosh and you know your heart just starts you're racing that you can't believe what you found but there's been six moments and six, maybe seven that have been just, you, 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 it, you're just laser focused on this event and, and the ramifications of it. And one of them, I remember it was a day in July in 2020 um, that uh, I happened to be going through Wyoming papers. Um, there was sort of an accident of this where Jack's life crossed over my family's life. Um, because my, uh, I have, um, ancestors that were in Laramie, Wyoming, where Jack was. So I kind of knew how to work the databases there for my own family genealogy. So I was 
reading the Laramie Boomerang. <laughs> and reading for a paper. I and so I'm coming, I just I see this 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 article about uh John Sturgis recovering from a shoulder wound. That uh-oh. <laughs> that must be, that's probably our Jack. And I, I go back and start reading the papers before and I find the event very poignantly written about his first suicide attempt, um, which he did exactly the same way. Um, but at the last minute, a friend, he was in front of a friend, you know, uh, had moved his hand away so that he just got his shoulder hit and not his heart. Um, and I had this sort of instant Oh my goodness. Um, I wasn't like, oh, I feel great about this because it's not like, you know, the fact that he killed himself makes, makes me happy. But in some way, I don't think it should make people happier to think that the last thing he saw was someone violently trying to kill him either, you know? So, and I don't know which is better, but I would think that the being murdered is worse. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't have perspective on this, but I remember texting you and there was, there was an un, uncharacteristic silence for a while in our texting. <laughs> by, the, by the way, our, our story, we, we could just print our texts because I've gone through and looked at our, our texts tell a whole story of, you know, behind the scenes looking there. And that by itself is good reading. Um, but that particular exchange, I sent you just, I didn't even take time to download the article. I took my camera and took a photo of the screen and sent it to you immediately. And you're like, yeah. And then finally you're like, well, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Same method exact same method as he eventually used in the alley. And I'd like to put in a word for my favorite rabbit hole of the moment that nobody talks about except very passing mention in Alaska history these days. But the last great gold stampede in Alaska was well east of here, very near the Canadian border, Shoshana. And that stampede is what brought Jack and his bride to Alaska. That was courageous on both their parts, especially hers. And Shoshana never gets any attention because it really came to nothing. But it turns out, I think Laura would agree, that an amazing number of future Anchorageites meet in Shoshana bond there and move here. And among them, not unimportantly, the owner of the quote unquote cigar store, a newspaper stand behind which Jack kills himself and the husband of the woman who ultimately identifies him, Mrs. Baxter, the last man, no, uh, the first man to admit to seeing Jack shot a fellow named John McNutt, who, I mean, that's almost a self-parody name right there. McNutt turns up over early Alaska, and clearly he and John, uh, Jack, have some sort of connection stemming from Shoshana, and nobody ever mentions that uh, Mr. McNutt had a building that he was rehabbing right by where Jack killed himself. Uh, 
the newspaper goes to considerable lengths to not mention that, as a matter of fact. It's supposition, but not unlikely, given the circumstances of Jack's first suicide attempt, that he had this run-in with Oscar Anderson on 4th Avenue, went back to commiserate with his buddy McNutt, and decided to end it all. And then McNutt claims, I didn't know who it was. Yeah. Probably what really went down. And oh, by the way, Jack was the best man at the deputy marshal who is above reproach in the period, a man named Frank Hoffman, who almost no one except his ex wife has anything bad to say about. And those two met in Shoshana, too, by the way. That's where they met. And then when Hoffman gets to Anchorage, he needs a best man. I tell you what, I, I, I can sort of um, pick up from there. Just uh, so um, Marshall Hoffman, who was uh, at at the time he 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 got to, he was a Shoshana, but then they closed down that Marshall branch, and he was reposted to um, essentially Wasilla out in the Matanuska. And um, when uh, his Hoffman's bride arrives. It's Jack and Anna Sturgis that meet her at the train station and um, are witnesses for Hoffman and Florence at their wedding. I mean, you, you talk about the sort of the, the the level of research we've done. I mean, full biographies on Hoffman too, because uh, just to, to find out if there were any archival things since they were such good friends. And we have found some things because of that. Um, I mean, mentions Hoffman's first marriage. Yeah, we have her the divorce records uh, and, and find out that Hoffman wasn't necessarily above reproach. There's only <laughs> I mean, someone who doesn't like you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is the thing about it. You, 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 you can sort of put people up on the pedestal, but it, in some way it's, it's very comforting to realize that people back then, even though they, they may have done these amazing things, there were also people and they were, they had their flaws and they had their, um, their, their great abilities, but it, it, I, I think this is the, um, I mean, they, they become very real to me. A lot of these people, not, not just, um, two-dimensional, um, things. Now, just back to John, John McNutt. I mean, just that was a, well, if you go to the, the talk we did, um, we were able to, to piece this together simply because a year later, there's a very brief mention in the Times about John McNutt moving the structure to a different, a different location. location. And then we looked at the fire maps from before and after Jack's death. And sure enough, it's gone. But if you look at the earlier one, there's a little building right next to where he shot himself. And I mean, this is this is the, the thing that I, when I say shot himself, I just want to say that more and more because um the 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 fact that it's in print and it's on podcasts and it's on other various mediums that this was a murder it's beyond frustrating at this point for people to keep saying it um because it's it's it has been solved um i will there's there's no way <laughs> that you can have a different narrative on this. And there's no reason to have that. 
and and it, and it's almost having this sort of um it, i think it does jack just dis, a disser, disservice to paint him differently than how he was um you know but Rick, do you, oh, uh, what, what, one more thing. I will tell you that the very first find before suicide was on my mind that got Rick really excited was a picture of Jack, the photograph. Um, because before that time, all we had was this very grainy photograph of Jack from his days on the Everett police force. Uh, and then we got a photo of him nice and clear as a detective. And he immediately became even more human to us. Have you seen that pair of photos, Joel? Yeah, I've seen both of them, actually. Yeah, the one is quite um, quite poor, and the other one's crystal clear, yeah. And you see, in a way, that contributed to the myth, like that. And when Laura turned up with a photo. Jack literally came into focus. I said, this woman is going to succeed. And there is all sorts of stuff out there that nobody's looked at. And that was when I started to take Laura's research efforts really seriously. Well, well, that, that I mean, I, I would say that experience um, ties into something I, I've learned in many decades of doing research. Um, when you go to a place, I mean, yes, you can do searches on databases. You can, you can look to see what libraries have, but until you get in there and you're working with the archivist who runs that collection, um, you really don't have a sense of what they have. And you, you, you need to, it's like building up relationships with anybody, you know, they, they, they want, I, I have had so many um, really great experiences uh, along this. I met some really cool people who have helped us immensely in, in finding information um, because you don't just write them a letter and say, tell me everything you have on this person. You know, you, 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 what you're you're doing is you have an interest in Jack at that time and place in their community because that's what that archive is about, and so you're you kind of realize that every place that we've been has their own history. So this isn't about just some person who lives in Anchorage trying to do something about our history. It's like, well, this is part of your history too because this individual was there at this time. So it's um, it's this building of of connections too for me and. I, I, I just, time passes so fast when I'm in the archives. <laughs> it's, um, I could dive in. One of the many valuable lessons I've learned from Laura, and I'm talking about me here, guilty, guilty, guilty. Uh, but I think I'm not unusual. Most quote unquote research is done by people who are seeking some sort of verification of their preconceived notion. Let me find something that proves my point and then I'll look more impressive. And so few people do what Laura did, which is just dive in and say, what's the truth here really? So with your uh, your evidence, maybe I'll ask, you said there were like, Laura, that there were maybe a half dozen times where you like had these aha moments and you were talking about kind of the big one <laughs> that you were 
taking pictures off the screen with, but could you maybe share with us one or one or two other ones where, as you were working on this, you had those like heart racing, like piece of the puzzle moments. Uh, oh yeah. I, I, well, I, I will do this. I won't, uh, I don't want, uh, let's see here. Gosh, I think I, I will mention the one um, where something was misfiled. Hmm. And this has to do with, I, I mentioned that Jack has, um, the family has probably some sort of genetic disposition to perhaps, I, I, my, my assumption is perhaps bipolar um, uh, or you know, at least depression, if not um, being bipolar. Anyway, I was in a particular archives in Ohio um, looking at one collection that had to do with uh, a peripheral person to the story and something that shouldn't have been there was there. And it was in reference to his mother um, because uh, his mother's life was kind of tidied up and prettied after the fact. And as it turns out, there's strong evidence that his his own mother um, at the very least was having uh, some sort of major hysterical, I mean, back at the time they were talking about, you know, her being essentially, they used the word manic um, in this. And <clears throat> I think th there is strong evidence now that one of the suicides could be his own mother. Mm -hmm. um, so that was one of those moments that I actually, because I was thinking that, well, yes, it's all the uncles in there, but his mom dies at age 40 under mysterious circumstances. And so I wasn't kind of thinking, oh, but we had nothing. And then all of a sudden it's there on handwritten from, from 1880 talking about this particular thing. And that's another one where you got an immediate, <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know. I think uh, hopefully it was a good, I was in a different time zone. Sometimes I worry that, <laughs> but yeah, that, that was, that was one of those, um, uh, moments. And, and we, we've had another recent one, but I'm still recovering from that one. So, <laughs> We do have our secrets, Joel. Well, that's okay. <laughs> well, it strikes me as we've been talking, I mean, two different things. One, I wonder if the Cook Inlet presentation that you did a couple of years ago is available somewhere if folks are interested in that. And then the second thing is this sounds like the making of a great book. Like I would go out and grab this book right away because um, I'm fascinated with this type of thing and, and the way that you've been laying this out. I would love to follow the story in detail. So those two things, is that presentation available that you did with Cook Inlet Historical Society? And then are you thinking about making this into a book or some other way that people can interact with that? So yes, the presentation is available. Uh, it's been archived. Uh, I think if you go to the Cook Inlet Historical Society, uh, Society website, uh, or you do, Rick, what was our title? <laughs> um, I don't remember. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, tell, I, I, I can send you a link to yeah. the actual um, yeah, it's no archive secret. crowdcast. Yeah. Um, and it's That'd also, um, you can link to it from the museum website. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I'll, I'll send you a link afterwards uh, to that. And then, I should add, though, that that's a couple years old, and the science psychology has moved on quite a bit. It's still, we will stand by everything presented that night. Yeah, and, and, and part of the reason we are, I mean, I, 
not that I'm, I'm, I want people to, to know the, the real Jack. Um, but yes, we are planning to do something more, uh, with this along the lines of, of a book and we've been work working towards. So that's why I'm not going to give all my citations quite yet, but they will be there. I'm not going to not put, um, the proper footnotes, by the way, interesting little story. When I was in, uh, NARA, um, they have these professional researchers, right? You hire to go do things. And one of them that was there and we were having this conversation while we were waiting to, to go through security. And she says, the frustrating thing that she runs into when people send her something is that footnotes are notoriously wrong by a couple of pages. And she, and she said, what she's determined is that scholars don't want other people to find out their resource, their sources because they don't want them to steal their information. And then part of me thought, well, that's really stupid. You know? yeah. So I promise you, um, when we do publish, we will actually have the sources and not say, oh, in some collection in Ohio, I mysteriously found this thing that said this and that. No, there will be a citation to where you can find it and all that information. But um, Rick, any more along those lines? Well, uh, I, everything Laura said is absolutely true. And um, KLEF has rented an extra room now. We have set aside the Jack Sturgis situation room. <laughs> uh, I'm not making this up. No, I believe you. I just love that there is one. <laughs> it's so complicated because there are so many interactive timelines that I at least can't keep it straight. And I think even Laura occasionally gets a little bit perplexed about how these all interface. So we've got to get it up on a wall, just like, you know, they do in crime shows, uh, you know, with pieces of yarn connecting events. Uh, it is so complicated and it's, it's a bit much to call Jack the Rosetta Stone of early American Alaska, but he touched a lot of people and a lot of people touched him and it kind of shows through. It's, um, it's absolutely fascinating. And I hope that we can do a book that does him justice. He lived quite a life. Yeah. Um, I, I'll, and I'll say what, one last thing, you know, just in doing uh, part of what we're doing right now is discussing how the myth came to be, you know, Rick and I are, are kind of working along those lines. And I, when I find these articles, like whether Anchorage is, is having a, I don't know, some sort of fundraiser and they're having drinks to commemorate the, you know, the, the death of the first chief, uh, police chief Sturgis. And I feel very protective of him now, you know, and I see things like that. I just, I, 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 it's bringing out the humanity and yes, the way he he's touched other people's lives. Um, but I'm not saying he's, was a great person either, you know? So um, I just, I just want to move beyond not let alone two dimension, but I believe a lot of those portrayals of him are just like the single dimension as this sort of character of what early Anchorage was or people think it was. Um, which is far from reality. Uh, and on, on, the, on that note, um, uh, there you go. <laughs> well, 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 you are all working in the situation room and making all those connections. 
um, which now I have this picture in my mind of, uh, which may, may or not be accurate at all. Um, maybe, and as we're waiting for the book, um, there is the ghost tour of Anchorage. So Rick, how would people connect with the ghost tour if they wanted to go on that? And, and here's some more history of Anchorage. Any, uh, any summer night but Monday, show up in front of Snow City Cafe at the corner of 4th and L. Be there politely before 7.30. Give me $15 and off we go. Excellent. Sounds like a great way to spend a summer evening in Anchorage, learning a little bit more about the history. Thank you both for sharing um, this, your research and this part of this story. And, and the accurate part of the story, not the legend that many of us know and is still out there. I really appreciate you taking the time to share with us. Well, thank you for having us. It's been, it's been fun. As I said, we, we like to talk about Jack. My thanks to Laura and Rick for joining me in shedding light on the death of Jack Sturgis. For more on Chief Sturgis, violence in the city, and mental health care in Anchorage, please listen to Season 1, Episodes 9 and 10, and Season 3, Episode 7 of this podcast. Until next time, I'm Joel Kiekenfeld. Be good out there. The Anchorage City Podcast is grateful for a grant from Resonate Global Mission and a partnership with Street Psalms, both of which contribute to making this podcast possible. And we're grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you are hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and recommend us to your friends. You can support this podcast by selecting the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative at smile.amazon.com when you shop at Amazon so that when you make a purchase, Amazon donates to us. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. The Anchorage City Podcast is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the heads, hands, and hearts of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean the desire to see a world where all things are the way they're supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org or on social media at anchorageutc. Our theme music is by Anchorage's own Monica Lettner. Mm-hmm.